Welcome back to Your 1230, the only podcast where our guests tell their story with the help of 12 questions in just 30 minutes. Today, we are very excited to be joined by Larry Camp. Larry has his degree in sports broadcasting and worked for a time at an NBC television station in New Mexico. He spent 22 years in the corporate world, eventually retiring from Shell Oil. The years in the corporate world enabled him to travel the country and have life experiences that shaped who he is today. But that is only part of the story. We're going to get much deeper into it uh, as we uh, roll through our 12 questions, and uh, we'll start there. Larry, how are you doing? Hey, I'm doing great, and I uh, appreciate you, Mike, for uh, having me on the podcast. You got it. You got it. I'm, I'm looking forward to this because uh, I've read probably uh, you know 10% of, of the bio in the background. Um, so I'm going to start there. What is one thing that most people assume about sports broadcasting that uh, is not actually the case when, you, when you're doing that? Uh, that you make a lot of money. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'll be honest with you. Um, when I graduated, it took me six months to land my first job. And you sent back then you send out tapes because they want to see what you're like on air. Uh, Cause this is television. So I sent those everywhere. First you're sending them to places you really want to go. And then towards as the months go by, you're just sending them out. And as odd as it would be, I got two job offers in the same week after waiting almost six months. One was $800 a month. The other was 850. Now, granted this is 1983, but still that wasn't much money. So did you choose the 850 a week or did, did you, were there other, other factors coming into play there? Well, first of all, 850 a month. A month, excuse me. Yes, I took it. Hey, $50 is $50. <laughs> so that's what took me to New Mexico and not uh, Twin Falls, Idaho. Okay. All right. And when, when did they, uh, when did the sports broadcasting uh, career path come to an end? How did that stop? Well, it stopped because the station I was working for, uh, KIVA Channel 12 in Farmington, New Mexico, about three, four months into it, they were sold. And they were purchased by KOB out of Albuquerque. And we had a small news staff there in uh, Farmington, 14 people. So they only kept two of us, a photographer, a camera person, a, you know, a camera person and myself. But yet they wanted me to be like this bureau chief for Northern New Mexico. So I was got there covering city council meetings and uh, doing all the, I wasn't doing sports. Let's put it that way. So I was only there doing that until, uh, you know, I could find something else just a couple more months. And then. That was the end of my broadcast career. Okay. All right. And then kind of fast forwarding to today, if you bumped to somebody in the street, you know, I'm sure there were plenty has happened since those days, but what do you do now? How do you introduce yourself now to somebody you just meet for the first time? Well, I will tell them typically that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm mostly, I consider myself semi-retired. I mean, I think I will always do something. And right now I've been managing condos over in Hawaii for the last uh, 20 years on and off. But, uh, so I'm still doing that and, um, I do my own podcast. I play a lot of softball. So we travel quite a bit to play. Uh, we just won a big tournament in Las Vegas. And by doing that, we qualified for the tournament of champions in Lakeland, Florida in February. So we'll be going to Florida. That'll be our next tournament. Very nice. What position do you play? Um, I played third base for about the last 30 years and, uh, I'm in a, an older division. Now this is senior softball. And so um, as you get a little older, they actually add another player. So they just added a player. So now they have what they call a rover position 
And that person plays kind of between shortstop and second base, depending on if it's a right or left-handed batter. So you'll move around, but yeah, I've been, I'm an infielder for sure. Very nice. Very nice. So that's, that's, that's exciting that there's a national championship that you you participate. Is your first time in, in that kind of tournament or. Oh yeah. I've been, I've been playing in those tournaments for years, but never been on a team that's won the whole thing. So that was pretty exciting. We were in a 17 team division. We had teams from New York, Illinois, Oklahoma, California, and we represented Southern Utah and uh, we went undefeated. So it was, it was pretty, pretty awesome experience. Very nice. So this is quite a commitment, both travel wise. And it sounds like it's uh, for a good portion of the year as well. Yeah. You better have a, a spouse that's, uh, that is, is supporting of, of your habit of playing softball because you know, when I met my wife, we've been married 42 years. We, uh, I was playing softball three nights a week, so she knew what she was getting into, but I think she probably thought that I would have stopped by now, but <laughs> still going. Not one of those things that you grew out of. Okay. All right. And, um, you mentioned that you manage property in Hawaii. How, how did, how has that come about? And how is your, um, how has your relationship with Hawaii changed and grown over the years? Well, in uh, 1975, I made my first visit to Hawaii, fell in love with it, um, went to school there in uh, 1980, eventually was able to buy our own place on the island of Maui. We had a place there for 14 years. So in 2002, um, I we bought that condo and I basically self-managed it until 2016 when we sold it. Uh, but then I've been managing for friends and other people, and I still am. Uh, so as far as Hawaii goes, it's just a passion I've had since I was a child. I don't know why. I just, from the first time I remember seeing, you know, people winning trips on game shows, I was like, someday I'm going to go there, you know, and, and I did, and it was everything I thought it was going to be. And you know, kind of a little bit more jaded, I guess, as the years go by, because everything's so expensive. Um, I was just there a few weeks ago and you know, it's, it's up again since last year. So, I mean, and when I say, up i'm talking everything from rental cars to you know the price of homes and condos to uh, tacos so everything's expensive you there's a reason we moved back let me put it that way so because people ask me that all the time i thought you loved hawaii i do but you know you, you, you have to decide what am i willing to sacrifice to live in hawaii you know they call it the paradise tax and it's pretty expensive Paradise tax. I haven't heard that before. So take note of that. Um, with a community like Hawaii being so so remote, uh, was it difficult uh, becoming a, a full-time native or someone who moved to the island as opposed to somebody who grew up there or you know was there from a younger age? Or how did you how did you feel uh, becoming uh, interwoven with the community? I think that there's um, the way that the locals or the people that have lived there their entire lives view people that are moving in or have come from somewhere else, they view them two ways. You're either just there temporarily and they know that, you know, I'm not going to make friends with you because you're going to be gone in a year. Or they may look at it like you're just somebody coming to rape and pillage the islands and you don't care about them. But if you are somebody that they can see appreciates the culture, appreciates um, the history and that you take part in that and you're, and you're doing all you can to uh, make the island a better place. There's a, an expression called uh, uh, Malama Diana, which means, you know, care for the land. And so if they sense this and they get to know that, 
then they're very accepting. And I've still got some really good friends. As a matter of fact, one of my teammates that is going to Florida with us still lives in Maui. And, um, and so I've maintained a lot of those friendships, even though we moved back, it's gosh, it's been five years now, I think. So, yeah, but it's, it's great. I mean, it's not for everybody and a lot of people will visit and they'll go, Oh, this is nice, but I could never live here. It's just, you know, an Island, but that part never bothered me at all. I'm sure it's not the paradise tax. What do you miss most from being, from being there? Just the weather. And, um, I guess just the laid back atmosphere. People are very friendly. If you're trying to pull out into traffic, people will just flip you a shaka sign and let you in. And I just, I guess I missed that. Um, but you know, of course friends and things, but we can always go back. And that was the way we looked at it. Hey, let's go back. Most of our friends and family around the mainland will be able to be around them. We can have a nicer place and we can always visit. And so that's, that's what we've done the last five years. And that's what we'll continue to do. Okay. Good. That's uh, it's good to hear that the community was so welcoming and that it has such a positive impact on both your your time there and, and your view of of the uh, the state as a whole. Um, well, Mike, <laughs> and I should also say this that even my podcast, um, you know, it's called Nobody Knows Your Story, and it's just where I have people come on and they'll tell their story, kind of like I'm doing with you now. But it has a Hawaiian theme to it, so I I always introduce the listener to some new music. And it could be anything from Jawaiian. And Jawaiian is a basically Jamaican Hawaiian mix, if you will. So it's kind of a reggae style, but old school music, uh, new bands. Um, so I always put a couple songs in. And sometimes I actually interview uh, musicians who are famous in Hawaii. You know, people over here wouldn't have heard of them, but they're big names over there. And I'll use some of their music when I do those interviews as well. So it's a lot of fun. Very nice. Yeah. Tell us about the podcast. Well, uh, you know, basically it's just like I said, it's just me sitting down, uh, kind of one-on-one with somebody else. And it could be somebody, um, I had, you know, the last few months, it seems like the uh, Mormon church has been in the news a lot. They had, um, a special on Netflix. I believe it was called keep sweet, pray and obey. And it was about Warren Jeffs and all his polygamous (laughs) life and whatever and, and wise, but I interviewed his 65th wife. And that was pretty interesting um, from, from a couple of standpoints. I mean, who has 65 wives? Actually, he had 75 wives. She was just number 65. But her older sister was one of his wives. Um, so she escaped through a window and ran away barefoot. And that's how she escaped. But yet her sister is still one of his wives. And they, they don't speak to each other. She hasn't spoken to her mom in 10 years. So those kind of stories, are, I think, are very interesting. And are interesting for listeners, too. So it makes it kind of fun. Yeah, that's the, and I mean, you're you're preaching to the choir here. That's the, the beauty of it, that we all have something that is either unique or at least specific to us that most don't know about or have not had the same life experience. So sharing that story uh, can not only educate, can entertain, but uh, can really shape the way other others think not only of us but uh, of their uh, of their endeavors as well. Uh, and you br- you bring up Mormonism. Uh, I you know, just from from our initial conversation and, and from the background, that that was a large part of your life at some point, was it not? Oh yeah, for sixty years. Um, you know, I wrote a book four or five years ago, and it's called "Nobody Knows." They just want you to think they do. And in that book, I say really nothing very unique, but I'm just making comments and talking about different things. It's it's my memoir, but in there, I say you are the religion of your parents. And you are the religion of where you grew up. 
So I was born in Provo, Utah, to two people going to Brigham Young University. What are the chances I was going to be born something other than Mormon, right? <laughs> so, you know, I was raised in that religion. Uh, it wasn't until later in life that my daughter, who was going to Brigham Young University, came home one um, Christmas break of her senior year and said, Hey, have you heard about this? And we're like, no. And she's like, well, you may want to look into it because I did. And I don't believe anymore. We were pretty shocked, but we looked into it and, uh, did some research because that's one of the things of a high demand religion many times is they don't want you doing research. We were actually forbidden, uh, you know, as much as they can forbid you from anything, but they did not want you reading anything that wasn't authorized by the church. And we didn't. I mean, if somebody came to me and said something about something that I didn't agree with or that wasn't from the church, then I would just say, okay, well, well, thank you for that and, and let them go on their way. But when we did the research, we realized we uh, the things that we'd been told growing up for for all of our lives wasn't actually the way that it went down. So sometimes it's good to um, to listen to your kids. So we, we thank our daughter all the time for, for bringing that to our attention. And that was back in 2016. So it wasn't that long ago. Was that the, the first time that she had brought a, a concern to you in that manner? Or was that something that had been repeated over time? Or what was that conversation like? I can't imagine being easy for anybody involved. Well, I think that most people, especially as you, you grow and go through the years, like I said, I was 60 years old at the time. So I had things that had been questions in my mind. I mean, I had a sister that came out uh, and told me she was lesbian when, gosh, when um, probably back in the nineties. Um, and so from that time on, I, I didn't agree with the church's stance on, you know, LGBTQ issues. Um, I was at odds with that, but, you know, I just kind of put it up on a shelf and went, went about my way. And I didn't agree with um, a, a lot of the way they, they viewed other races and I didn't agree with. So, you know, there were a number of things over the years that I just put on the shelf and my shelf was getting pretty weighed down. Um, so when my daughter came to me uh, with this, basically this information and we looked it up, it didn't take much for me to say, okay, well, Hey, I suspected a few of these things. It's nice to really know now. So, um, and I, and I, I probably know more now than I did when I was even a member, because sometimes people will put more stock in, you know, buying a pair of shoes than they will analyzing the religion they belong to. Because again, they're just there because that's what their parents were and they've never really thought about it. They just, okay, and there you go. But it is a high demand religion. It requires a lot out of you, 10% of your income. Um, I served two years of my life as a missionary for the church. So I was, some might say, well, Larry wasn't really that devout. I was devout, but maybe not to the degree of others. And, and, and that's safe to say, but I believed. And, uh, when I, but when given the evidence and, you know, then it was easy for me to say, I don't believe. So that's fine. Some people just never question. They just stay in it the rest of their life and that's fine. I don't have any problem. And do you can still consider yourself a spiritual person today? Have you replaced one, one kind of dogmatic set of views with another or where are you today? I am a free agent, so <laughs> I don't really espouse to any particular religion. As a matter of fact, I'm probably uh, anti, you know, corporate religion. Um, I do believe in being a good person. I believe in karma. I believe that, you know, if we all just take a moment before we say something and 
and maybe trying to look for the good in, in somebody rather than just, you know, pick away at the obvious uh, problems that we all seem to have. I think we just all would be better. But so, yeah, I don't really have a religious uh, view other than just being, trying to be a good person and, you know, be a, a good husband and a good father and good friend. Yeah. I, th I think that that, you know, it's, it's tough to argue with that being kinder to others and treating others a little more fairly or with the, the idea that, you know, how, how, how we treat others does impact uh, other things. And, you know, couldn't, it couldn't hurt at the, at the very least. Um, I guess changing gears a moment again, uh, it seems like family's been a, a central theme through a lot of what you've done and is important to you. Um, how, you know, how, how is your relationship uh, changed kind of going through that, that transition with, with, you know, leaving what you had known for 60 years to kind of a, a different, a different way of day-to-day uh, -day life. I think as far as my family goes, my extended family, most of them are still members of the Mormon faith. Uh, my parents both sang in the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. So, you know, we come from kind of a, a, a pretty good line of, of believing Mormons. So, we're some of the first trailblazers that have left the fold, so to speak, but others are leaving, others are questioning. And I think it's just um, a matter of time because before the internet, people could say whatever they wanted to say. And there was really no way to prove the internet because people say, well, what took you out of Mormonism? I said, Google. And, uh, and that's just the honest answer because the information's out there, but you gotta, you gotta look and you gotta make that decision, that conscious choice. So, and as far as family goes, I've got three children, two boys and a girl. Um, four years ago, our son, Dusty, he was 31 years old, a surveyor. Uh, he's at work uh, having some severe stomach pains, rushed into the hospital. Uh, long story short, he ended up having a spontaneous dissection of the right iliac artery and ended up dying. And not unlike a lot of things, I was at a softball tournament in Las Vegas at the time. So I wasn't even there. He was in Phoenix, Arizona. And and I bring this up for a couple of reasons. As a member of the Mormon faith, we had all the answers. We knew where we were going to go when we died. We knew that we would be reunited as family. And I think when it's always sad when someone passes, but I think when you feel like you have all the answers, it just gives you something to, you know, grab onto to hope for. On the other hand, as someone who now doesn't belong to any of those type of religions, doesn't have any of those types of beliefs. I just have to live with hope, hope that maybe someday I will see him again. But the honest answer is I don't know. And nobody knows. They may tell you they do, but nobody knows. Yeah. I, and and I'm, I'm going to say at a loss for words, we, we talked about this when, when we first connected and, you know, losing a child is, is never easy. And it's, it's not something that a lot of people have dealt with, but you know, you have seemed to move forward in a way that has some positivity to it. And, and you referenced that it would have almost been uh, a better, an easier way to think about it. Thinking if I had not questioned my, my religion of, of of so long that if I had believed the things that I had believed for a long time without questioning that, that it might have given me answers that while maybe not accurate would have put me in a, a place of peace or would have, would have changed my mindset. Um, kind of, kind of having that new knowledge, having that hope, um, how have you been able to uh, kind of use this as a way to kind of build, build your family to, to a stronger point or to kind of move forward? 
I think that um, there are people who would rather kind of live in a, and I don't want to, I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad or, or say anything, but I think there are people that just, they don't want the answers. Um, I went to one person and said, if you could know that this wasn't true, would you want to know? And they said, no. And and I get that. And that's, and that's fine. I think for some people, they need to have something like that, or they prefer to have something like that. Shoot. I'd prefer to have something that I, if, if I could truly know it, I mean, I'm a facts-based person. I'm big on truth. As far as the family goes, um, our family all left the church at the same time on my kids and, and my wife and I. So it was a pretty easy transition for us. I have friends who have discovered the um, mistruths of the of the faith and they have left, but their spouse hasn't. And that has created a real problem in their, in their marriage. Um, parents have kids that have left and they're still in. There's parents who have left and their kids are still in. So we consider ourselves really lucky that we all exited at the same time. It just made for a very smooth transition. And of course you get strength from each other. I mean, it'd be hard to be a believer and have your spouse be a non-believer and maybe even trying to, in their own way, get you to leave or whatever. So you have to, everybody's situation is different. We have met a lot of people that um, have kind of traveled our path too, and, and they haven't had as good an outcome as we've had. So it can be difficult. Again, whether it's, you know, if you think of any high demand religion, and typically I think of like Mormonism, I think of maybe some uh, Orthodox Jews, I think of um, maybe Jehovah Witness, there's some high demand religions out there. And most of them, if you leave, they will shun you, they will go into some sort of a distancing of, uh, you know, the, the individual or individuals who have left. Our friends, for the most part, have stayed our friends and our family's been, been our family. And, and we, we haven't had any real problems with that. So we consider ourselves pretty lucky. And I want to just take this opportunity to, to thank you. Cause I know this is not a, an easy conversation to have, regardless of how many times you've spoken about it, how comfortable it is, if, you know, from, from the, uh, <clears throat> from the, the moving away from the church and especially the, the, the unexpected sudden loss of a child. So, um, you know, again, my condolences for Dusty. Thank you for sharing that, and thank you for being able to talk about it so candidly. Um, my last question, kind of in that uh, kind of area, is that I think impossible comes to mind when people hear you say that you were able to maintain friendships uh, and uh, relationships within uh, the extended family that uh, did not make the same decision to, to either leave or. Uh, you know, exit the church the same way you did, how kind of in a bigger picture type thing, were you able to navigate that with uh, keeping those relationships intact and, uh, you know, positive going forward? Well, honestly, you just need to be respectful of other people and their, and their beliefs. So, you know, they know, and that's what we've said. Hey, look guys, we, we have arrived at where we have through some study and through some, a, a lot of um, listening to others. And, and so we, we're comfortable where we're at, but we understand that you're comfortable where you're at. So let's have fun. Let's, let's play games. Let's do things. And let, why not? Let's just not talk about religion. <laughs> and, and sometimes that works best. And, and when I'm playing softball with my friends, because, Hey, let's face it, we're all different religions and political views. And did you get a vaccine? No, I didn't get a vaccine. You don't believe in vaccine. So we just don't talk about any of that stuff. And that's just kind of the, Hey, let's just certain things are just off, uh, off the the list is of things we're going to talk about. And, 
And I think, I think that's the easiest or the best way, at least for me, um, because I feel very passionate about my beliefs, but it's okay to disagree. You just don't want to be disagreeable. Very well said. And uh, I think that you're, you're certainly, you're onto something, if not the something when you, when you first start by saying that nobody knows for sure, um, but you still come at it from a respectful way that respect other people, respect their opinions. You don't talk about areas that necessarily wouldn't push a conversation forward or to a place where there's that mutual respect. And then just having that kindness to each other and then that hope that uh, we are doing the right things and that we are um, trying to to better the relationships. And that, that's kind of the way forward. And that, that's been clear for everything that we've talked about tonight and beforehand. Um, so I will try to awkwardly transition here to asking you about writing a memoir. Um, what what made you decide to do that at that point in your life? Um, have you considered revisiting it, or uh, do you think it encapsulates everything you hoped it would? It took me about seven years to write it, and I didn't even start out with the intent of writing it. I've always been a journal keeper, and being a communications major, I think I've just liked to write and like to put down, you know, put thoughts down to paper and so forth. But after a while, I I thought, you know, I I think I've got something to say here. I think that people might be interested in. It's funny because my wife, that was one of the first things she said. She goes, why do you think people care what you, you think? And <laughs> like, Well, I'm not saying they necessarily would, but I, I think I've got some things that might make them think. And and that's what I like to do when I read books is like somebody, oh, I hadn't thought about it that way. But uh, but yeah, so in, in answering your question, you can update it. And um, these books today are what they call print on demand. So if somebody goes on Amazon and orders my book, they just print it up and ship it off to them. Whereas in the old days, you know, you self-publish, you might have to buy a thousand books and store them in your garage or something. So um, when my son passed away, after about a year, I revisited that and I wrote a chapter on uh, losing a child. And I added that to the book because the book had only came out in 2018. So it hadn't been out very long, just months before he passed away. So and that actually helped me with therapeutic in writing that chapter and putting it together. And so, yeah, you can update it from time to time if you want to. Um, but, you know, the, uh, and I made some other changes too at the same time. I figured as long as I was in there, might, might as well fix it up. But, uh, you know, I think, you know, whether it's religion or whether it's life, there's there's something I wrote down the other day that I heard. It's uh, expectations lead to disappointment. Have hope, not expectations. You might just be surprised, but not disappointed. And so that's kind of where I am when it comes to religion again. And if there's life after this life, I have hope, um, but I don't have expectations. That's beautiful. And I, I, I like, I like the way uh, then that, that comes across and the message that that states that, you know, you should rely on the whole piece, but the expectations piece is where you can get, get yourself into a little bit of trouble. Um, I guess wrapping up here, and I'm going to go complete left turn because I didn't even ask you about it. You spent a good amount of time in corporate America. Um, how 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 has that shaped kind of all of the other things that we've talked about that you've done, and where you see kind of the next semi-retired slash softball national champion uh, of yourself you're headed? How how do you look back on those years? What what do you look back fondly? Anything that you change? I have to admit, because sometimes people want to just act like they're all their years in, in religion or something were bad once they've left. There was a lot of good that came out of my religious upbringing. I had great parents. So my, both my parents were educators. They were school teachers and things. 
And um, so going on that two-year Mormon mission taught me a lot of things about, uh, I hate to look at it this way, but what was I? I was a salesman. I was just selling religion, right? So I picked up some great skills that I was able to transition and use in the corporate world. And so what I ended up doing for 22 years, um, I worked in the quick oil change industry. So if you're familiar with the Jiffy Lube, I ran all the Jiffy Lubes on the West Coast. So that's what I ended up doing the last number of years before I retired. And that's why my pension comes from Shell Oil because Shell owns Jiffy Lube. People probably don't know that, but, um, but yeah, so a lot of the things I did as a missionary, a lot of the, the tactics, a lot of the skills of public speaking and looking somebody in the eye and, you know, firm handshake and those types of things, you know, what I did, I was in the operations end of it. So I was always working with young people and trying to get them to understand the importance of some of those same types of things when dealing with customers. And so, um, yeah, a lot of those skills were there. I, I really enjoyed my time in that, uh, that arena of uh, corporate world, a lot of travel, uh, but, but mostly working with people and, and helping shape lives. And I enjoyed that. That's a, that's a good answer. And that's, it's a pretty good place for us to uh, start to wrap up because somehow we're already on time. So I, I think, well, I did not navigate the conversation. Well, I I think we, I did take us to all of the, uh, the angles and topics that I was hoping to discuss. Is there anything that I didn't ask you tonight, Larry, that I probably should have? No, I mean, uh, you know, I just, I just really appreciate the opportunity, Mike, to visit with you. I mean, a couple of the things that I might just add that have been important throughout my life has been music um, and, uh, you know, things like the sports we've already talked about, but music's been a big part of my life. I've been to close to 200 concerts and I just saw my last bucket list concert in August, the Red Hot Chili Peppers. So I feel like I've seen everybody I wanted to see now. (laughs) Well, um, I seem to have the... I don't say the gift or the curse of bearing the lead with a lot of these interviews where the last question, one of the last questions I'll ask will lead to a very interesting topic that could lead to another 30 minutes, but I am going to ask. So 200, that's a good amount of shows. Um, What did you think of the Chili Peppers? I thought they were great. The problem was I saw them in the new, um, the new stadium, indoor stadium, Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas that holds like 60,000 people. Okay. So the sound was terrible, but, um, and of course, you know, I was so far away, I could barely see them. Thank goodness they have those big screens, but, but yeah, it was fun seeing them. I'd always wanted to see them. And I've seen them of course in, you know, videos and different things, but, um, that was my first chance to see them actually in person. It just worked out. I had chances to go other times and things came up and it just didn't happen. So they were the last ones on my list. Uh, and, and, you know, I should say this, uh, people always say, Hey, who, who do you really like out of the people you've seen? Cause I say, well, let me just tell you who I took my kids to. My 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 oldest boy's first concert was Michael Jackson. Uh, Dusty's first concert was ZZ Top and Los Lobos, <laughs> and my daughter Tatum, her first concert was Billy Joel. So you know, we've we've seen a lot of good good artists over the years for sure. You definitely have good taste. Good for you for taking the kids to go see that. My kids are a little young, but I, I look forward to the day to introduce them to live music. Um, I also certainly consider the Chili Peppers an arena band, so. If there's ever another opportunity, smaller than sixty thousand will probably be a better, <laughs> better venue for the yeah. sound. Uh, you, you, when you start mentioning too la, uh, too large of a, a uh, <clears throat> venue uh, interfering with the sound quality, you obviously know what you're talking about. So you got that there. Um, so if they're the last, you mentioned a couple others. Who else you look back fondly on that list of two hundred? 
well, Jimmy Buffett, because I've been to him 13 times. So, but that's, that's also an experience. You're not there just for the music. You're there for the whole experience, but yeah, there's been some great bands I've seen or, you know, some of my, you know, groups that I really liked. I mean, I'm talking about like Grand Funk Railroad, Deep Purple, um, if I'm going way back in the day, Kansas, but, um, you know, later on, like the last, some of the last concerts I saw, I saw the Killers and I saw Jack Johnson and, um, just been to a lot of shows, a lot of, you know, cause I, I really do have a broad spectrum of, I like a lot of, um, Motown sounds. You got to remember I am a little older, so, but a lot of the bands from the seventies and the eighties would be the ones that, uh, that I have enjoyed listening to. And those are the ones I've seen in concert. Very nice. Very nice. And Larry, where can our listeners uh, find out uh, more about you, connect with you, or listen to your podcast? Well, they could go to my website, which is just nobodyknowslarrycamp.com. Um, and you can kind of see a theme there from the nobody knows, but uh, it's something I really believe. <laughs> so yeah. And uh, my again, my podcast is just nobody knows your story. So, uh, but if you go to my website, I actually have my top 10 by download um, interviews on there. So if people are like, well, where, where would I start? I mean, cause I've got like 80 or 85 of them now. So, uh, that's a good place to start because there's been, um, there's been some interesting interviews for sure. People's people have interesting lives. And I used to think, you know, we here, we've talked about me for the last 30 minutes or so. And I used to think, whoa, wow, woe is me. I've had a son that's passed away and I ended up getting divorced. I didn't even talk about that when I was first married and my parents divorced after I was married to Judy and all these different things. I had a brother pass away and all this stuff. And I've interviewed people that have had so much more than I have. And I think that that's, I think that's kind of life. When you hear the stories of other people, you kind of end up walking away grateful for the life that you've lived. You're as somebody who's had the opportunity to talk to close to a hundred myself now, and just the, just the experience of hearing what other people have witnessed, uh, had the opportunity to see and what they've been able to live through and persevere uh, through is, has been incredible. So at, at the very least, you kind of always are putting things in perspective. And that's why, I mean, it sounds simple, but when you talk about respecting others, respecting their opinions, uh, treating them kindly and, um, you know, not, not taking things for granted and just keeping things in, in a way that uh, is just, treating people well, you know, it sounds basic, but it often gets overlooked and it, it is really valued uh, in a lot of those relationships that we have. So um, I will stop rambling there. Larry, this was fantastic. Thank you for joining us. And I look forward to talking to you again. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate being on the show. You got it.